What a blessing to be here again. Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I bring greetings from my wife, Lori. And uh, boy, now uh, we have a great granddaughter. So we have 22 grandkids, a great grandson, and now a great granddaughter. And wow, it's amazing. She's uh, cute as a button, takes after me. Ah, <laughs> oh, what, a, what a great stage of life. I do um, bring greetings. Pastor Bevan's welder said, please greet the church and the pastor from me. I was there last week down in Houston. And uh, what a joy for me to be... Um, a lot of what I do now that I'm kind of a fossil, and back in 2013, uh, I turned the church over to Pastor Brennistel, and I know you're familiar with all of that, but understand that when I was saved, I was 18 years old. When I was 21, I surrendered to be a pastor. And up until then, when I was 20, a couple churches asked me to come pastor, and I said, uh, no, I, I don't think it's time. And then from the time I was 21 until I was 37, nobody asked me to pastor. And I spent 16 years wondering, well, Lord... I surrendered to be a pastor, and I'm serving faithfully here in our church, and boy, you didn't, nobody's asked, nobody's invited, and I had some indignities. People would say to me, well, Brother King, is there some secret sin in your life? Well, I'm saying well-meaning people, people in our church. And boy, we went through various struggles. My son, we found with the brain tumor and stuff. And, and I'm saying there's good reason for self-doubt. Lord, I told you I'd do this. But my pastor was so wise, Howard Nelson, and he said, listen, Randy, during this time, you learn everything you can and when God opens the door for you to pastor, you won't have to repeat all the mistakes. Right? And he quoted that verse from Proverbs about if the, uh, the lumberjack, the axeman goes out, if he failed to wet the edge, he must put more force to it. And he said, the, the lumberjack... Never waste time when he's sharpening his axe. You take the time to sharpen the axe, you can cut a lot more trees when you get out in the woods. And so under his counsel, why I learned and grew, and then sure enough, I'm 37 and Pastor Nelson says, I'm 62 and I'm resigning and I'd like to recommend you to the church. And so I became the pastor at 37 and boy, God blessed that, and I learned a lot sitting under another man. 
Well, then at 62, after 25 years of pastoring, I stepped down and I tricked Pastor Brendan still into taking our church. <laughs> and now, since 2013, this is my 11th year traveling full-time. I preach out 50 weeks a year. In 2022, I only ate nine meals in my house. Last year, I was home more in the summer. I preached 50 weeks out, but I was in Wisconsin, Michigan, Illinois, Minnesota, so I could be home to fix the lawnmower. <laughs> but I'm booked all 50 weeks this year, much of next year, and I'm home for Christmas, and I'm home for our church's missions conference. But most places I go, the pastor is 55, 60, 65, and they go, hey, we better start thinking about transitions to a new pastor. And they say, Pastor King, you resigned at 62, and tell me some of the things you did. And so I get in that conversation probably 30 times a year where I'm sitting with the pastor sorting through the transition. And I am for young pastors and I'm for churches having a good pastor. And Brother Dunbar and I, he said, we're fast friends, we talk transparently. But just... Uh, Four weeks ago, I was in Englewood, Florida, and I was one of the speakers at a conference on the next generation. How do we get the next guys up to speed? And let's just be honest, good pastors aren't that easy to find. And new younger pastors, um, that's, a, that's a challenge to find God's will. And so... I'm, we're in 2 Timothy, I don't know, it's a thick book, 2 Timothy 2 and 14 through 26. But all I can think of is our head usher. I know you guys have a lot of good men. And the head usher, when I announced I was resigning, he took me aside and he said, Pastor King, you never cease to amaze me. He said, all these years, you've got by working one day a week. And now you've found a way to wiggle even out of that. <laughs> and I said, hey, come on in. The water's fine. I'm preaching more per week, 9, 10, 12 times a week, more than I ever did when I pastored. And I'm not bragging or complaining. I'm happy as a clam. I believe this is what God has for me. But one of the jobs and one of the things we have people that were ordained out of our church, and I know you've had the same, and one of the things when we talk to the young guys is, hey, feed the flock. Make sure in, in Ephesians, in the, uh, the Ephesian church, when Paul was in Ephesus, he's going through there in Acts 20, he says, Take heed to thyself and to the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseer. 
being an overseer of God's flock, that's, that's got a lot involved. In Timothy, Paul told Timothy, take heed to thyself and to the doctrine. Good preachers have to take care of themselves, their personal relationships, their marriage, their walk with God, their health. But they have to take heed to the flock, but they also have to take heed to the doctrine because looking after people, but if you don't teach them sound doctrine, the church goes off in the weeds. And the other thing, the only other time it says take heed, it says say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry that thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. So we always teach young guys, hey, take heed to yourself, take heed to the flock, take heed to the doctrine, and take heed to the ministry. In other words, ministering to others. That's what pastoring looks like. So I know when Paul's writing, he's near the end of his life. If you think about how this works, God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Jesus said, here am I, send me. So Jesus comes at the behest of the Father. Then he goes by the Sea of Galilee and handpicks 12 and boy, Judas betrays, and they draw straws and get Matthias. But God supernaturally picked the Apostle Paul, one born out of due time, and he's going to be the Apostle to the Gentiles. And so this is, you're a chosen vessel unto me. And then Paul launches out, and he travels, and he travels with John Mark, and he... All these guys, Aquila and Priscilla, you read through Acts and the epistles, and it names at the end of Romans and the end of Corinthians different ones, and it's 34 different people that he traveled with at one time or another in his missionary journeys. But now, 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 there's not going to be somebody to handpick. The apostolic age draws to a close. And now we're going to say to the church, hey, hey, you guys look through your congregation and find men of this caliber. Lovers of good men, lovers of hospitality, not soon angry, no striker. He's a good family man. He's a good... and." you're going to choose those kind of guys to be your leaders. And when you, when you think about this, it goes from God hand-picking every single one till the church is fully launched out here in the Age of Grace church age. And now we're into the Gentile world and we have a fully developed church. And now we say to the preacher boys, hey, teach the church what kind of guy should be their pastor. You understand, this is a sea change when you get to Timothy and Titus. And so it's not a perfect science. Everybody we know, either they've been part of a church or they know of a church or their son or daughter or relative is in a church where they have a wingnut pastor. (laughs) 
When he looked in the clouds and saw PC, he's out farming and he sees PC, and he says, that must mean preach Christ. And the Lord said, no, that means plow corn. <laughs> and so, once in a while, someone will say to me, well, Brother King, what about this pastor? Or did you hear about that guy? Or what he said? Or what he did? And I go, hey, hey, the church needs to make sure that the pastor they get looks like what is described in Timothy and Titus. Because that's kind of the, as I'm going out the door, you think of a guy on his deathbed, what does he say to his kids? Stay with God, stay with the Bible, make sure you raise your kids for God. On the way out the door, Timothy and Titus are written, like, hey, you guys, this is what it looks like. Now, this today, we're going to look at just one aspect of it in 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 26. 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 26. And I'm doing this on purpose. I don't know how many more years I have to preach. I don't know how many more years Brother Dave has to preach. But the church needs to know what are we actually looking for. What would God want for us to have? And this isn't got a name on it. It's just here's the caliber of person you should be looking for. And so stand with me, please. And Paul writing to Timothy. And uh, he's the preacher boy. And I forgot my water. Let's read our text together. Verse 14 of 2 Timothy 2. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them, this is Paul to Timothy, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat us thus the canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore, verse 21, purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Verse 22. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Verse 23, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. Now, I want you to keep the, your Bible open and look carefully. The theme is make sure that there's unity in the body. And sprinkled in, make sure you're rightly dividing to where the truth. Hey, make sure you're walking a pure example, righteousness and all of that. But there are three things we want to look at 
Look carefully again at verse number 14. And it says, make sure they strive not about words to no profit. That's one caution. Why? It'll subvert the hearers. Slip down, verse 16. But shun profane and vain babblings. Why? They'll increase unto more ungodliness. Down to verse 23. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid. Why? Knowing that they do gender strife. So we're going to look at those three cautions. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Lord, we can learn from this. And here's a good church and good pastor and good folks. Lord, I pray you'd give them a church that feasts on the meat and not on potato chips and ice cream. Give them a church that understands we're going to keep the main thing the main thing and not get distracted with all the foolishness. And I pray, Lord, you'd protect and guard this good congregation. Give them the leadership, Brother Dunbar, for five, ten, who knows how many more years. But, Lord, as they look to the future, as these young people get a new pastor, Lord, I pray you'd help them to know what a good church looks like, what a good pastor looks like. And, Lord, these cautions that you wrote down for us 2,000 years ago are just as important today as ever, maybe more important. You said, let us love and provoke unto love and good works, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. We're going to need good leadership in trying days. I pray you'd make it so in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's get right to it. Paul said in Acts 20, he said to the Ephesian elders, verse 29, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. It's a caution. Hey, hey, there are while we're trying to teach the truth and build the body and have unity, there are always going to be those who try to distract and siphon off. I've seen it my whole life. Strong churches attract strong personalities. And so the gospel light attracts a lot of strange bugs. And, and, and so you'll find that there will be people who come in and they try to worm their way in, weasel their way in, and try to draw people off to follow them. There are people also from within, right? Uh, Miriam and Aaron said, hey, how come God, God could speak through us, not just through you, Moses? And it surprises people, shocks people, you mean somebody from within our own congregation might stick their head up? I've seen this over and over and over again. It's all over the country. Where, hey, hey, this good guy, popular guy, nice guy, all of a sudden decides, and, and hear me, hear me, the more popular they are, the more likely they are to siphon some people off. 
in a church split or in something else. It happens everywhere. And he's giving this caution. He says to Timothy, the preacher boy, hey, now listen, here's, you got to really, really guard against this. And it's not preaching on specifics. It's giving the, here's how it works. Here's what commonly happens. I see it. And I, when I pastored, we had the same thing. Some guy who surrendered to the ministry, he went to Bible college for a year or two, and maybe he graduated, maybe he didn't. Maybe he tried going to the mission field, maybe he didn't. Maybe his wife divorced him. Maybe he tried pastoring for a while and they kicked him out. But for whatever reason, this guy comes along and he wants to be the pastor. He doesn't have his own soapbox, so he tries to come and steal your soapbox. He tries to get people to admire him. Uh, there's a guy named Stephen Anderson, and he teaches the mid-trib pre-wrath rapture, and he's kind of a wingnut, but he has seminars, and he teaches his young acolytes, hey, here's what you do. You don't tell them what you really believe, and then you go and join a church, and most pastors are happy for any warm body. And then you volunteer to teach the college age or the young marrieds, and you worm yourself in with the young couples, and then once you're ragingly popular, once you've had that group flourishing, then, then you tell them, I don't really believe like the pastor. You lay low. You fly beneath the radar. You win their hearts. You get to be popular. And then, then when you tell the pastor you disagree with him on eschatology, he won't dare say anything because you have half the church and half the future and half the young people. And that's the way you can change the church over. And the old guy will die and then you'll get everybody believing like you. They plan it. They plot it. This isn't just by kawinky dinky. They're taught how to metamorphize a church into believing like that. And so Paul is writing to Timothy. He says, look, make sure that they strive not about words to no profit. It says they'll subvert the hearers. Things like this. Are we going to focus on, I mean, we've got a whole Bible to teach. Are we going to focus on homosexuals cannot be saved? If they're homosexual, they can't be saved. No. The guys who embrace that, it makes them feel more spiritual. And I'm righteous. Homosexuals, no matter what they say or do, they're all going to hell. They can't be saved. No. Listen to me. You could argue till the cows come home about that. But at the end of the day, it says it subverts the hearers. It gets people thinking. Yes, it's abhorrent behavior. Yes, it's blasphemy against God. Yes, all my life, I preached from the Old Testament. It said that uh, homosexuals are supposed to be stoned. Well, Colorado legalized marijuana and gay marriage, and now the... The gays are stoned. I probably had that wrong the whole time. 
But listen, at the end of the day, if you embrace that, that subverts your understanding of what forgiveness and salvation really is. God can save to the uttermost all who come unto God by him. I'm witnessing, preaching in Mattoon, Illinois, and there's a 22-year-old guy that comes to hear me preach, and he's there, and he's effeminate, and he walks that way. But he comes to hear me preach night after night. And on the last night, he says, could I talk to you? And I sat down, and he said, why is God against me? And I knew what he was talking about. I hadn't preached on that subject. But listen, listen. He was sincere. I opened the Bible, and I said, well... I really think you're asking the wrong question. Why are you against the plan of Almighty God? He said, I'm not against God. And I said, well, sure you are. The Bible says, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. That's God's creative purpose for you. Now, some people can't have children, but you purposely are trying to have all sexual gratification, but you're not going to make any babies because you want to please you and not please God. God's not against you. Your behavior is against God Almighty. You know what he said? Nobody ever told me that. I'm wrong and God is right. And he called on the Lord and asked him to save him. And he's a member of that church today. I got a, a family that was in our church and they had dad working two jobs and Mom homeschooling the kids and raised this one child that had a proclivity to be more effeminate and very little masculine influence in his life. They moved to Tennessee. The boy turned 16 and declares he's homosexual. He went off in that lifestyle for seven years. But two years ago, he was reading the Bible, came to the conclusion that behavior was wrong, and he got wonderfully saved and renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, and he's wonderfully saved today. I just met with him a month ago in South Georgia, and he's serving the Lord and, and serving in a good church. And I'm saying, when somebody says, if they're trying to sound super spiritual, oh, to you both, they're all lost but it subverts what the Bible says. He can save anybody if they'll repent of their sin. Right. It says, don't, Paul's telling Timothy, make sure that you don't, you don't uh, strive about words to no profit. You understand that some things might be, it's like eating popcorn. It gives your jaws exercise, but there's no nutrition there. Just babbling about stuff but at the end of the day, it'll subvert the hearers. Something's going to get said that's contrary to this Bible. And then notice, it's not just that. It goes on to say, verse 16, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. I see this all the time. All the time. Somebody has to believe something more than you do. They've got convictions that even God never heard of. 
They're trying to prove that, you know, and they, and they have these. You're, you're against Santa Claus? I shot Santa Claus. <laughs> you, you're against Easter Bunny? I don't eat eggs. What are, they, what are they trying to do? They're trying to impress you and they're trying to set themselves aside. But listen, they believe things that have zero foundation in that Bible. We're already a freak show just to believe the King James Bible, wives are supposed to submit to their husbands, people really do burn in the lake of fire for eternity and children are supposed to be spanked. We're already a freak show. We don't need the earth is flat. We don't need George Bush bomb the towers. We don't need the, the, all of the foolishness. Listen, listen. The Bible says here, avoid profane and vain babblings. A pastor to, to keep a congregation going the right direction, there's plenty in this Bible about what we're supposed to be doing. We don't need a bunch of the extraneous. Okay, if, if you put a Christmas tree in your house, you're kicked out. Uh, hey, you've got to believe. Uh, here, here's an example. What was the fruit on the tree in the Garden of Eden? Well, I actually wasn't there in person. <laughs> Have enough humility that I don't know everything. I wasn't there. Don't pretend to pontificate. It's just pride that makes people want to impress everybody else with what they think and hear and know. And a lot of it, I call it spiritual sword measuring. See? My sword, see, my sword is one inch longer than your sword. You believe in Christian liberty. I believe in Christian liberty with two Ys on the end. <laughs> They're trying to make themselves feel more spiritual than you are. But the Bible says that increases to more ungodliness. You'll find out that doesn't make them more spiritual. Once in a while, we had in our youth group when I was youth pastor, we had this kid who was a, he actually had a Deputy Holy Spirit badge himself. And he was a, a signed up member for the Sanhedrin. And he was aloof of all the other young people in the youth department. And he would come to me, Pastor King, did you know that that, that boy has a poster of Michael Jordan on his bedroom wall? And that's a secular hero, and he should not have it. And Pastor King, did you know that that family, they didn't come to every night of the revival, and how can they claim to even be saved? And Pastor King, and I'm telling you, he was holier than thou. And I said to him, you know, I appreciate anybody that has a concern for personal holiness. I appreciate that. But that's not proof of your spirituality. The Bible says, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye that are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, 
considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Who have you helped? Who have you put your arm around? Who have you gotten down in the ditch with and helped them walk in victory? Who is it that you've actually served and helped? Anybody can be the priest saying, look at that guy down there. Somebody's got to be the good Samaritan. And the Bible says the spiritual ones are the ones that are helping them, and you haven't helped anybody. You've alienated everybody. Nobody, you're sitting there in your, in your armor and you forgot to put on the underarm deodorant of love and you stink in there. The Bible says above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Wow, can you know the worst truth about somebody and still love them? Can you help them get from wherever they are to where they ought to be? Don't, all you're doing is fluffing your feathers and making yourself feel better. I'm glad I'm not like this publican. What is that? That's not what the body of Christ is about. And Paul's telling Timothy, hey, make sure that you don't strive about words to no profit and make sure they shun vain and profane babblings. And then look it down at verse Number 23, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strifes. You know, a good pastor, people have questions. We had a guy come to me and he was one of my biggest critics and he didn't like the way I preached. And he didn't like the way I pastored. And, but he wasn't very popular and he never got elected to be a deacon or a trustee and nobody wanted him to be a Sunday school teacher. And he came to me, he says, Pastor King, you know what we need in this church? I was in another church and they had a suggestion box on the wall. And I would feel a lot better if we had a suggestion box in our church. And I said, well, hey, hey Bob, I am for that, uh, wow. He said, I'd even make it. I'd make it. I'd make it out of oak. I'd put stain and varnish on it. You just show me where to mount it in the lobby. So we went in the lobby and we walked around and we found a spot near the track track where we could put the suggestion box. And boy, he was so happy. And so he says to me, now, Brother King, here's the plan. I'll actually put a little shelf there where we could have pencil and paper. And then we'll have a little trap door in the bottom with a padlock and then a key and then I'll give you the key and then you can open it up and you can read the suggestions. And I said, well, no, Bob, I, I, don't, I don't want the key. He says, well, what do you mean? I said, you said... You'd feel better if we had a suggestion box, and I want you to feel better. <laughs> and so we could put a suggestion box there. Well, what, what good's it going to do if you're not going to read them? I said, I don't shadow box with make-believe people. If you have 17 notes in there that says, I think we should get a new Sunday school superintendent, I don't know, but what you stuffed the ballot box. I don't know if you and your kids wrote every one of those. I never shadow box with, I've heard some think, they feel, a lot of us see. 
you speak for you. You look me in the eyeball face to face, man to man, and say whatever you want to say. I can hear it. But I'm not going to shadow box with make-believe people. But hey, he says, well, if you're not going to read them, I'm not even going to make it. <laughs> no kidding, Henry. No kidding. A lot of people up where I'm from, the Catholic mentality is rich in Wisconsin. And boy, oh boy, everybody's used to praying to Mother Mary. She's our intercessor. I can't go directly to God, but I can pray to Mary and the priest, and then they'll intercede for me. So people that are fresh out of the Catholic Church, they have this, hey, I have a complaint, but I can't go right to God, so I got to find somebody in between. And it's going to be the deacon or my wife as secretary. And they come and talk to my wife. And my wife says, no, look, it don't work like this. She said, my husband has a rough spot, and you have sandpaper, and you come and you rub and rub and rub on me, only I didn't have a rough spot. And so I'm just bleeding over here on this side, and then you want me to go talk to him, and I rub and rub on him, only I don't have sandpaper. And so I end up frustrated on this side and bleeding on this side. And if you think my husband listens to me, you don't know my husband. <laughs> she says, you take your little sandpaper and you go rub it on his rough spot and leave me out of it. Leave me out of it. You go, his office door is open. Any man that ever walked in there will tell you he got a fair hearing. No promise he's going to change whatever you complained about. But he got a fair hearing. But dead sure, I'm not the Mother Mary. Hey, listen, people have questions. Do you think the pastor is still stealing from the offering? I'm just asking a question. I'm not accusing anybody of anything. Hey, anybody can dote about questions, and here's what it says. Foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strifes. It forces people to pick allegiances. Uh, do you think the pastor should have let that girl sing a special when you know and then fill in the blank? Do you think the pastor should let that guy Come and open in prayer when his wife fill in the blank. Listen, all we got is sinners out here, just humanoids. That's all God's got to work with. And if you put a microscope on anybody's life, they have some regrettable things. And Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, look, don't let them strive to words of no profit. Shun vain and profane babblings. And look, these foolish and unlearned questions of, do you think God could make a rock so big that even he couldn't pick it up?
Why? Why? Why would you focus on that kind of foolishness? People are dying and going to hell. We're trying to honor God. We're trying to obey the Bible. We're trying to reach the world with the gospel. We don't need this. We don't need this. Well, Pastor King, do you think George Bush bombed the towers? Do you believe we really put a man on the moon? Do you think church, and it doesn't matter, open, closed, or close communion, it doesn't matter. Do you think people will always try to ask a question? Do you think we should use that songbook? Do you think we should put words up on the screen? Do you think we should allow that person to come? Do you think we should? And when you're a pastor, you go, hey, hey, let's just keep the main thing the main thing. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? But hear me carefully. This isn't just a pastor thing. This is a whole congregation thing. I see everywhere I go, is this church worth protecting? Do you want your children to have a good place to go and worship? Do you want to have the climate, the churches that are given over to all the peculiars, where you've got, I, I've recently preached in a church where they've got this contingent over here believes this, and this contingent believes this, and this contingent believes this, and the pastor's brought in three different guys to consider for the new pastor, and they are going to have a church split as sure as you're breathing free air because nobody's going to be able to please all groups. And he's allowed it to blossom and bloom and flourish under his care, contrary to what Paul told Timothy. Make sure you don't let the church be like this. Make sure if you... What's the consequence? It says if you have words of no profit, it's not going to benefit, it's going to subvert the hearers. If you have vain and profane babblings, it's going to increase into more ungodliness. If you allow unlearned questions, it's going to generate strife. This is a recipe for disaster. 1 Timothy 6. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he's proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof come envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute truth, supposing that gain is godliness. Second Timothy 4, just over a chapter the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine after their own lusts, will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and be turned unto fables. When Paul preached in Acts 17, it said the Athenians just sat there to hear and tell some new doctrine every day. Look, that's not what we're about. We don't need somebody to come up with some new thing. Let's stay true to what we know is in the Bible and let's have that culture and that climate because why? Healthy churches just say, look, we're not going to make this foolishness the centerpiece. That's not our identity. We're here to glorify God, worship the Lord Jesus Christ, reach the world, and that's what we're about. Well, can I... 
can I get everybody to sign up for my multi-level marketing? Not in church. Can I put a, a poster up for, for my horseback riding? Can I? Listen, we're here for one purpose and one purpose only. Don't allow the extraneous to identify the church. Here in the Bible, Paul writing to Timothy, he says, look, we don't want to be striving. We don't want to be fussing and fighting. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, down verse 17, it says, and their word will eat, doth eat as a canker. And he names them. This is very common when someone causes trouble. The Bible speaks in general terms, but he names the guys that are causing trouble. In 2 Timothy 3, Janus and Jambres withstood Moses. 2 Timothy 4, Alexander the coppersmith. The, the solution or the, the best preventative men, uh, maintenance is somebody that's doing this. He said, you name them. You warn people. This guy will hurt us. Stay away from him. It's one of those things that's just so vital. And I look at the future. And I think of make sure that you're unified so as God brings along the next person that this isn't built on a freak show. This is built on sound doctrine. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed. Strive not about words to no profit. Shun profane and vain babblings. Foolish and unlearned questions avoid. I'm just challenging you today, and I know this is just oversimplifying things, but could you pray and say, Lord, please help our church to stay on the straight and narrow. Help us to make the main thing the main thing and not get drafted off into the freak show that just causes division and strife. Would you slip your hand up, Lord, please help our church stay true to the Bible. Would you slip it up and put it right back down? God bless you. God bless you. I want to challenge you with this thought. Lots of churches did right for a while and then took a left turn. How is it that they got fooled or tricked or delayed or off in the weeds? It's because they didn't zealously guard against these things. Not just a false teacher, somebody asking questions that stir up strife and cause division. And I'm asking you today, would you pray God protect our church from this foolishness. God, please help our church going into the future be guarded against foolish questions, profane babblings, words to no profit. God, we want to protect Freedom Baptist Church and we need you to keep us following the Bible. Just slip your hand up. I'm praying for our church and our future, our young people. God bless you. God bless you. Heavenly Father, you see the hands, you know the hearts. How wonderful to be in a good church. Lord, would you keep it so? Would you keep us 
in the right direction, especially as we go into fragile transition years. May this church be healthy and happy and have your very best. I pray in the name and through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Stand with